In this episode of Ottawa Business Journal's Behind the Headlines, a quarter billion dollar residential real estate deal sets a record, maybe. Our legal expert shares tips on how employees need to be treated during the upcoming federal election. And Carleton University opens its new $65 million home for the business school. All this coming up right now. Behind the Headlines is brought to you by Nelligan Law, Ottawa's fierce, proven, and human law firm. Visit them at nelliganlaw.ca. Hello and welcome to Behind the Headlines for the week ending September 13th. I'm Michael Kern from the Ottawa Business Journal. Behind the Headlines is a regular podcast from OBJ to explore the biggest headlines in local business. We're changing around the format, uh, if you didn't catch the last show, uh, we're going to have still one of my colleagues from Ottawa Business Journal, David Sally, in the first segment. We'll talk about a big local business headline. The second segment will remain unchanged with our expert from Nelligan Law. The third uh, segment is what's changing. We're going to have a newsmaker uh, of the week. And uh, this week, we get to speak to the dean of the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University that just opens its its new business school. Very exciting. And we'll be speaking with Dana Brown in just a few minutes. But let's go first to my colleague at the Ottawa Business Journal, the one and only David Solly. There he is. Hey, Mike. How you doing, Dave? I'm not bad. How are you? Good, good. Good. Uh, listen, we got a great story to talk about today. I mean, we always do, but this one, uh, this one has a big number. People, we know the business audience like big numbers, so this this is a big number, quarter billion dollars. Yeah. So, uh, Dave, we're, you're going to break it down here for a minute, but I'll I'll set it up. So, this is a um, a three building rental apartment complex in Westboro, and it sold for two hundred and sixty million, and we think it might be the largest residential. Uh, real estate deal in Ottawa history. Tell us about it. That's right, Mike. And uh, don't shortchange it. Two hundred and sixty-seven. Oh, okay, I mean, seven million extra. Yep. Yeah. Because uh, every dollar counts when you're when you're chasing a record. And uh, and this one looks like it, it is a record. At least that's according to uh, Nico Zentel of uh, CBRE's Ottawa office. Um, they're the firm that that brokered this historic deal. Uh, it actually took three of their offices. Ottawa, Toronto, and Montreal working together to get this deal done. That's how big it was. Um, and yeah, so this was a, um, this was a, uh, as we said, a historic deal. Um, the buyer is Homestead Land Holdings. They're out of Kingston. Uh, and they already own a couple of dozen properties in Ottawa, uh, along with dozens more across the province. Um, and so they, uh, they finalized the deal for the three buildings, 185, 195, 200, Clearview Avenue, that's just west of Island Park Drive. Um, so this is a uh, this is a big apartment complex. Uh, we're talking 642 total suites along with two commercial units. Um, now the, I mean, uh, you, you know, history here because uh, as uh, Nico told me uh, um, recently, like it is just very rare, Mike, that you would see a, uh, a properties you know of this scale uh, ever. Come on the market in a, in a in a place like Ottawa. We have a pretty controlled market here, uh, tightly controlled, as uh, Nico mentioned. And so, not uh, you're you're not going to see uh, three uh, high rises of this magnitude change hands very often. Obviously, um, so um, uh, you know, and this is 
part of Homestead's play to kind of uh, expand its footprint here in Ottawa. They've also recently filed an application to build a, a 25-story apartment tower with 235 units uh, near Baseline and Green Bank. They already have a couple of other uh, buildings around there. Um, and uh, so, you know, clearly they're, they're wanting to go big in what they think is going to be a big bounce back for the Ottawa rental market. Um, certainly, uh, Nico Zentel thinks so. He told me that, you know, CBRE started marketing uh, the Island Park Towers, as they're known, back in May. And he said the properties were hotly pursued, as he put it. Uh, they, uh, they got multiple bidders. And um, he just said that's a testament to the strength of the Ottawa residential market right now. Um, and that's it's interesting because, of course, as you know, Mike, um, last year wasn't great for the rental market in Ottawa with the pandemic two big groups that that are normally you know um pretty uh pretty steady um reliable renters students and new immigrants well there weren't many of those uh coming to, to, to the capital or to many other canadian cities for that matter last year so that caused them it caused a little bit of a um a dip in uh in the rental market for sure we saw that uh in the earnings reports from uh from reits like minto and um Interrent, uh, they had a down year in 2020, but the uh, the general consensus seems to be that that things are ready to bounce back. Um, that this isn't going to last, you know, this this depression, if you will, uh, in the market isn't going to last very long. Students are already coming back, uh, as I saw on Carlton's campus the other day, and um, uh, immigration levels are probably going to going to start creeping up again. So um, so the rental market should be ready for a bounce back. And Nico also mentioned to me on the side that the commercial market is actually looking pretty good as well. He's got CBRE has several uh, big office deals in the works. He says uh, one that's got a bigger dollar value than the Island Park residential deal. Wow. And he said, so he said it's going to be a bit of a sleeper year uh, uh, on the commercial side of things as well, Mike. So, um, so yeah, so... Generally speaking, uh, there's 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 quite a bit of optimism right now out there. Yeah, I, you know, I think you could um, you could say that Homestead making this purchase is a vote a vote of confidence in the local economy. And and I heard what you said that during the pandemic, uh, the market would have been a little bit soft um, for mostly external reasons. I, I think you're right, students and uh, new arrivals or immigrants to Ottawa. But before the pandemic, of course, Dave. I mean, people were almost calling it a a, a rental crisis, like you know. Yeah. The, the the vacancy rate was way below one percent, and we we're hearing all these horror stories. So, you know, e e even if that uh, loosened up a little bit, I think Homestead's going to do pretty well with those properties. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dave, for that reporting, and uh, look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Keep up the good work, Dave. All right. Thanks, Mike. See ya. So it's time to check with our legal experts from Nelligan Law. Please welcome Denise Deshane, an associate with the lawyers uh, with the firm's employment and the labor law practice. Welcome, Denise. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. Listen, I'm, I'm eager to explore this. You know, one of the things I like about employment law is there are all these little rules um, in employment law that employers should know about. And here's a rule that I didn't know about. So Denise, uh, we have a uh, federal election coming up, and as I understand it, employers are required to give employees time off to vote. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. And um, you hit the nail on the head there. We have a federal election coming up in just a little bit over two weeks, so it's very important for 
employees and employers alike to be aware of the uh, general rule that uh, employees are entitled to three consecutive hours to go and cast their votes. So it's it's three consecutive hours, and I presume it's on voting day. Are there are there other regulations or or details that employers should know about? Absolutely. So um, yes, it's on polling day. Um, the employer has to provide you with those three hours, but those three hours um, they have some latitude around when they're allowing their employers to go and cast the vote. Um, so if your working hours are simply not allowing you to go and cast your vote um, at the same time as the polls are open, then your employer needs to be accommodating that. Um, there are very specific exceptions. Um, so this rule applies to all employers, um, but uh, there are exceptions if you're employed in the transportation industry. I was, I was just going to jump in and say, so I, as I understand it, Nisa, you're the expert, I'm not. Um, this is kind of a Federal Elections Act uh, regulation, but I, I'm just wondering, that's a federal law and there are federally regulated industries and then there are provincially regulated industries. But I, I think what you're saying is this applies to all uh, private companies and, and organizations, nonprofits, government agencies, it's across the board. Right. So um, the piece of legislation, you're right, is is a federal one. So it's the Canada Elections Act. Um, and, and that provides for very, for those specific rules about employee entitlement to go um, and vote on Election Day. So it, it applies to all employers, again, with the exception of people in, in the transportation um, industry. Uh, but four very specific criteria need to be met if uh, you're going to disallow an employee in the transportation industry to um, take their time off to vote. Okay. Well, listen, you learn something every day, Denise. It's it's fascinating. This is why I like uh, employment law. And uh, it's exactly why people need uh, people like, or firms like Nelligan Law to give them good advice. Thanks for being here, Denise. I appreciate it. Thanks again for having me, Michael. Thanks to Denise DeShane from Nelligan Law for that expert legal tip. So remember, you need to give employees three consecutive hours off to vote in the upcoming federal election. So now it's time for our Newsmaker interview, one of the new segments on Behind the Headlines. And I'm particularly excited this week because this next story is a big deal. In fact, I think it's the beginning of a new era for Carleton's business school. I'm very pleased to welcome right now the Dean of the Sprott School of Business, Dana Brown. Welcome, Dana. Hello, and thank you for having me here today. It's entirely my pleasure. So, Dana, listen, uh, you guys just opened a new $65 million business school called the Nickel Building. It's so exciting. Um, it's been a long time coming, Dana. Kind of walk us through, you know, <laughs> the, the somewhat long period of time to bring us to this point. Yes, it has indeed, but it certainly is an exciting moment. Um, throughout its history, the Sprott School of Business was based in uh, Dunton Tower, uh, which meant that uh, we were dispersed as a faculty and as a business school across a, a building and, and with other faculties. And our students were studying all across the campus. So in that environment, it was really hard to build a community. Um, and the new building, um, it came as an idea uh, probably about five years ago. Um, um, and since that idea was formed, it's been developing. Uh, we've been working very closely with um, Hariri Pontarini, the architectural firm, to build a building that really um, embeds our values and expresses our ambitions as a business school. 
And I had an opportunity, Dana, to tour uh, the building just a few days ago with you. Yeah. It's spectacular, and both from an architectural point of view, from from just a general amenity point of view. And I know this is a tough question because we're doing this both <laughs> on a video podcast and, and some people are listening audio, but describe this new $65 million building for us, please. Yeah, I think the architect described it best when he called it uh, the, the design a warm embrace. So the building is actually circular in its design and the circular design um, allows us to see one another as a community, right? To, to see what's going on in the building and to get a sense of being part of something bigger. Um, and that's really the beauty of the design. So you walk into the building, you enter into a foyer that is round and circular and open. You see an open staircase that's leading up to a lot of open spaces for student collaboration and student learning. It seemed it seemed very flexible to me. I mean, and that's probably the type of building you need these days. Uh, we're in a little bit of uncharted water, and that actually leads into my my uh, third and final question, Dana. So there might be people watching saying, "Well, listen, Dana, we're living in a virtual world. You know, why do we need a sixty-five billion dollar building? What would you what would you say to that?" Yeah, well, I think, you know, this building actually was designed and conceived prior to the pandemic, but I actually think um, it meets exactly what we need right now in, in higher education. Um, we don't really need more uh, closed wall learning uh, in higher education. We need communities of learners um, who can collaborate, who can problem solve, um, who can work together. And in order for that community to, to form, you do really need some dynamic spaces where people can meet. This isn't a nine to five office building. This is a building that brings people in. It brings our students together, our faculty, our staff, members of the community and business leaders are welcome in the building to start to, to look to the future. And that's what I really love about this space. And one of the things I noticed, uh, by the way, Dana, was some very high-tech uh, cameras and lighting and boards and, and audio equipment. So it really kind of is equipped to be, you know, a broadcast center, a, you know, an e-learning center, if I could put it that way, to a much broader community than simply the people inside a building. Yeah, absolutely. All of our rooms are um, uh, geared up to do what we call high flex learning. So we'll be able to broadcast out, we'll be able to bring more people into our learning community in that way. So that's another aspect of the space that really makes it suitable to this day and age. And I know it's not really possible at this time when we're hopefully at the tail end, hopefully, of a pandemic, yeah. uh, but, but you are keen to get the business community into the new building and to host events and, and to, uh, to, to engage with the business community inside the building. Absolutely. Inside the building and outside the building. We want the students to be in and out and we would love the business community to be in and out as well. Um, so we will be inviting the business community to come in um, for a variety of different events. Within the building, we've opened Carleton University's Innovation Hub, um, the first innovation hub that the university has had serving all of our um, student community. And there will be a great opportunity for businesses to engage with us and with the talented students we have here through that Dana, congratulations on the new building. So exciting. Thank you so much. We're excited too. And thank you again. That was Dana Brown, the Dean of the Sprott School of Business. And that brings us to the end of this episode. I want to remind everyone, you can watch this episode on YouTube. You can also listen to it uh, on all major podcast studio uh, platforms, excuse me, uh, Apple, uh, Stitch, uh, Google, so on and so forth. Uh, I also encourage you, if you're really interested in local business news, to visit our website uh, regularly. That's obj.ca. You can visit it 24-7, uh, of course, and get 
uh, new headlines. And uh, also, if you don't ever want to miss a story, the thing to do is to sign up for OBJ Today, which is a weekday email newsletter. You can go to obj.ca slash newsletter slash sign up. Thanks for tuning in. That's all the time for uh, we have for this week. So on behalf of my colleague, David Sally, and all the guests and sponsors uh, for this week's episode, thanks for tuning in. Uh, be safe and hope to see you real soon.